This is Coder Radio, episode 397 for uh, January 18th, 2021. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. Cloud Guru now includes Cloud Playground, Azure AWS, or Google Sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. Who, me? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm Chris, thanks. But what really matters is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Sitting here in my minimum viable robe, enjoying a nice, comfortable, you know, because I keep it a little cool in the studio in the winter. I like to keep the window cracked during the day. That's okay. Ask, ask me what I'm wearing. What are you wearing? An ATP shirt. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's supposed to cut or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's supposed to get feedback on YouTube. <laughs> that's what it's supposed to do. There is that. Yeah, I got stories for you today. Oh, go. Let's do it. Let's just get right in. First, I wanted to... You know, you remember Avid? He's written in before to the show. Mm. Remember him? Mm -hmm. Remember him? It's been a while. Spend some time, my old friend. Stay a while and listen. That's right. <laughs> that is exactly what I was in the reference I was invoking. Well done, sir. Well done. Yep. Stay a while and listen. Wait, we wait, 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 wait. We have Deckard Kane on the soundboard, and I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a. It's because it's usually <gasps> on the Linux unplugged one, but every now and then I let it bleed in because I mean it's it's Deckard Kane. Stay a while and listen. I love it. <laughs> I don't remember what we're talking about. Go ahead. He's been a listener since 2009, and he says, I just wanted to show uh, or throw a uh, shameless plug towards you guys. In the last episode, you mentioned iTerm, and you mentioned AWS. It does sound like us, Mike. Those are things we would mention. It does, it does sound about right, doesn't it? Yeah. He said, I just wanted to throw you this. It's a GPL project that scrapes AWS and DigitalOcean to create dynamic profiles for iTerm for easy SSHing. It also creates an SSH config entry with the same information, if that's the way you uh, prefer. Uh, it, he says he'd love to get some information from people on like uh, or, or, or patches to support Linode or Azure or other cloud providers. Uh, and there's also Windows support for MOBA Xterm. How about that? So he he essentially, I guess, uses the API to figure out what your what your like DigitalOcean droplets are, or what your AWS instances are, and then auto builds out iTerm connections for you. So you should be trying iTerm. That's what this that's what this is about. You realize this is because you besmirched iTerm. I have some thoughts on iTerm, but let's just keep moving. I was going to give it another week. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, because I mean, again, you besmirch you besmirch a great terminal. You're besmirching. I didn't say I besmirch. I just said I had thoughts. I, I, I know, but it, they're probably besmirchy thoughts. I would say they're besmirch adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> Besmirchish, you might say. I would say they're like the, you know what? Let's just keep moving. Okay. All right. I mean, I just think it's a nice little terminal. I got it configured the way I like, uh, but I understand. I, I, I think you and I would configure our terminal the same way. Just saying. <laughs> All right. You know what? Next week we can have the terminal off. <laughs> then Mike writes in, Mike K, listener Mike, big fan of the show, he says, and by the way, can't wait for the robes to drop. Absolutely. God damn it. He says, I have this question haunting me for a while, and I had to ask it here. What is so terrible about an Electron app? I agree, it sounds like a hot mess of an idea, and yet, it works. It works really well. VS Code is the most popular code editor in the world, and I build on it. 
In fact, I built on top of it. So Slack also use that all the time. Turns out my favorite Git client, also Electron. I have plenty of issues with flat packs and the like over the years, but never really an Electron app. They don't seem to be much heavier than the alternatives. Meanwhile, you basically get web, Linux, Windows, Mac builds right out of the box. It might even work on Mike's M1 without crashing. Seems like a huge upside, and yet Electron apps seem to be slandered in the Linux world. I'm a web developer, and I want to start writing Linux apps and contributing, so I naturally want to reach for Electron. But I hesitate because all of the hate speech around it, despite its popularity. So what am I missing? Why doesn't this add up? I'd love your take on this item. Thanks. Sure. So uh, right off the bat, Mike, I'm curious what Git client you're using. I have a, f- I mean, I use the terminal, the one true terminal, Chris. He mentions in here that he uses Git Kraken, which I've tried. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Is it Kraken? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. So I'm going to say that Electron apps aren't that bad unless you're on Mac. Oh, okay. And even then they're not that bad. Uh, Slack is kind of weirdly broken on Mac OS in terms of the calling and like releasing the the uh, uh, audio input device and audio output devices. But I think the problem, I think this is kind of a problem of how easy, in quotes, it is to write an Electron app and just shuffle it to all the platforms that people kind of write lazy Electron apps, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Or it's, um, it's just a non-optimized version, at least. Like I can tell you when I'm working on Mac, I notice the Electron apps a lot more because, you know, they're not bespoke and didn't cost me, you know, 27 Starbucks lattes. Yeah. Well, the other thing is on Linux, there's a lot less standardization, right? People just kind of do what they're doing with their apps and sometimes things like randomly pulling KDE or cute components. So having a mismatched UI isn't a shocker. Right. But on Mac, I can like tell like, okay, Slack is doing something ridiculous because it's actually like a Chrome instance, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I sell Electron apps to people. I think they're great for line of business apps. I don't think anything but web apps makes a ton of sense in most normal cases, unless you're doing something like CAD or, uh, you know, like flight simulators. I don't know. What's your take? I mean, I, I pretty much think that like it's the trade-offs these days are you, you probably want to go with web standards in general. I really connect with where Mike K is coming from in this email because as Linux users, like you better you better learn to love Electron because it's probably the only shot Linux users have for large corporations to invest development time. Is if when if they invest development time that can be <laughs> deployed on multiple environments. And right now, especially with Microsoft looking at developing Electron, or I'm sorry, Outlook in Electron, and likely other Office applications in Electron in the future after Outlook comes out. Uh, I think it's probably just going to be a lot more, not a lot less, especially in the business line of applications where enterprise applications have traditionally been kind of clunkers to begin with. So UI and performance aren't typically first or even second or third priorities with those applications. So I totally see where he's coming from because Linux users, this is their best shot. And I'll tell you, it's like many things in tech. The problem is nuanced and complex fundamentally, you could make a security argument that you have a really kind of complicated Chromium stack that gets shipped with these applications, and some of them don't get properly updated. And so you could have different stacks at different times. So you could have Slack using one Electron stack, and you could have Discord using 
a separate one. And perhaps the Slack one is vulnerable to something that the Discord isn't. And so it's kind of a mix match uh, and, a, and a large surface for attack. And so that has a security criticism. Then you have the performance criticism. Then you have the native application criticism. And I think like so many things in technology, none of that stuff fundamentally matters for why it gets adopted and why it gets deployed and why it gets market share. Like, all those things can be true about something and it'll still be it'll still be a successful technology platform. And I hate to be a non-controversial on this, but over time, I think I've started to just get used to Electron apps. You guys know, I mean, traditionally, I really am not a big fan of web applications, but the thing that I like at least about Electron apps is they get it out of my damn browser, and it's one less thing that my browser can take down, or it's one less tab in my browser. I prefer that these things have their own windows, their own processes, so I can kill them or they can crash on their own, and they're independent. And at least Electron, in that sense, it gives me that with these web applications. And I am kind of delighted sometimes when I'm using an application as a desktop app and then I go to the web and I find essentially a total and complete implementation that is in the web for when I need it. VS Code's web server version of this, for example, is just great because it's essentially VS Code that I can run in a Docker container on a web server on my LAN. And I love that. Now, you know what? This is great. So there is advantages to it as well. But I definitely can also sympathize with the performance argument. This is my last point, is on Arch Linux, you can play around with this a little bit and see the difference. There's specific versions of common packages like Slack and Discord that you can opt to use the Arch system version of Electron, which is always very up-to-date and the most performant version available. And so the, these packages install the applications, but instead of using their bundled Electron runtime, use the system Electron runtime. And you notice certain things work a lot better, and it runs a lot faster. And you realize that there is still performance gains to be had, and part of it is just a lack of optimization and a lack, and a lack of keeping these things up to date. And now on my workstation upstairs here in the studio, my, like my office space, I run these versions of Slack and Discord that use the system Electron and they use less RAM and they perform better. And if you have, if you can look, look for your systems, I'm sure it's available for other distros and desktops out there and you notice a performance improvement. So that tells me there is room for improvement. They're just not taking it. So I think there's people have a valid argument there too. Like all things in tech, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. That's really how it is. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think that's, I mean, I, I'll say one thing. I don't think anyone's going to win the argument against Electron or something like it. Can you imagine if, you know, in five years, all of Office is just shipped as an Electron app? I mean, the argument's over. Corporate America is not going to care. I think that's almost a certainty. Alex writes in and he says, I'm a mechanical engineer uh, training recently to do some uh, development. But check out what he does. Is He says, I'd like to talk about how I think that programming is becoming a critical skill for anybody working in a technical field. I've reached the limits of what spreadsheets on a, on more than one occasion, and so I've been thankful that I've had programming skills to fall back on. He's recently been doing CAD design automation in Python, which he says has really changed his game. And also, he's moved over to the M1 and loving it. We got several people this week that said that they've moved over to the M1 and love it. Some M1 love in that email. Mm, M1 grand loving if you catch my drift. And then he asked if I've launched a network-wide uh, 
support, you know, so you can get a membership and get access to all the show's special features. And I was really, really close, but it backfired on me, so I kind of hit the pause button. That's not out yet. But I am hoping to make good for anybody who's a patron at patreon.com slash Signal. Whatever I come up as a bundle, I'm going to try to include everybody over there. So Jasmine writes in, and uh, we were asking people how, how they test, and she says, how do I test? Painfully. I'm working, <laughs> I know, I love that. I'm working on an enterprise application in a mono repo built on a Java 8 and Docker. All our builds use Apache Ant, and we do our unit testing with a combination of Junit and I think it's uh, Makito. The problem is, besides, besides Java 8 woes, our unit testing is old, crusty, and all around a bad time. I've been told by more than one senior dev that they expected, the t- they expected they'd have time to fix it uh, and write unit tests that are better, but of course that never actually happens and, happens, and it takes sometimes one to two and a half times as long as writing actual code. As of right now, I've been about around six months on the job. They are sadly correct, as I have learned. Our unit testing is functional integration testing by just a different name, causing nearly everything to be extremely complex and complicated. You know, kind of the opposite of what unit testing means. (laughs) Our service mocks actually make everything much harder to test or fix, while actually also hiding bugs from us. (laughs) Oh, God. This is so painful. Uh, all this of the fact that our testing finds such a minuscule amount of issues, it makes it full rage-inducing. That is the key thing at the end there, that when they go through all this trouble, it actually just finds like a tiny amount of issues. <laughs> right. It's like trivial issues that never would stop it releasing. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how I test, she says. <laughs> Honestly, Jasmine, I feel your pain. For years, I have been kind of a curmudgeon on the whole unit testing thing. You know, at a certain scale, I've never seen a case, and so I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this one, where the, maintaining the unit test doesn't just become, like, somebody's job. And it's just, like, this huge overhead, and people get tempted to write them so... I can't think of a good adjective or adverb here, but let's just say... They write them in a way that they're unlikely to fail. Yeah. You know what? I know my fellow Ruby hipsters will want to jump down my throat, but I, I don't... I still don't think you can replace manual testing. I, I just, I haven't bought into the unit test thing. And I know, oof, I know that's a sacrilege. I know there's lots of blog posts about how you're not a real developer unless you embrace test first development or whatever. But I'm going to, I'll obviously have to take the opposite side just so that way I don't get flamed. <laughs> of course. That's a spicy day. Because it's important to spend four out of five days in your week writing unit tests, right? Like, well, I know. Like, where do you even figure out the limit there? And yeah. especially the small, a small team too. It's just really, it's a whole other level of, it's a whole other job. Well, I think what happens is, and I, I like what uh, AS is, as, I don't even, I can't even say that, but someone in the chat is saying where, you know, testing your implementation details in, in kind of like uh, uh, asterisks. But the problem is as a system gets bigger and bigger and bigger, there's all these weird details, quote unquote, edge cases and things where, yeah, sure, unit tests are super cool on like the first 1.0 and they make a ton of sense when you know the logic. But what if someone comes back to you and says, mm, I don't know, let's rewrite how permissions work in this giant application. <laughs> and you have a couple hundred tests that now just fail overnight. Yeah, do you even bother really redoing them at that point? At some point, is it just like a sunk cost, right? Yeah, okay. So Steve from Canada is doing a check-in. It says, hey guys, I know you're asking for feedback on our home setups. I thought I'd chime in as well. As with the rest of us, I'm now working from home. Or I guess you should probably say a lot of you. I'm working from home indefinitely now. Previous to that, I was about 85 to 90% on the road. (laughs) 
So he went from nearly 90% on the road to indefinitely working at home now. It's a win. Yeah, yeah, I agree for him. It's probably got to be a huge quality of life improvement. But I was just thinking if even 5 or 10% of people who work from who were traveling that much are now just working from home, it, things are going to change forever. I'm really just curious to see where that goes. But he goes crazy with the monitors. He has two horizontal monitors on top and a 132-inch 2K monitor in the middle, which is my setup too. But then he has a another vertical, additional vertical monitor I think he puts on the left. He got himself a new keyboard after using a $20 keyboard for years. <laughs> he got himself a Red Dragon, Sorora, I think a Sorora <laughs> mechanical keyboard. I don't know. I don't know how these things are pronounced. Whatever. It's a dragon. Let's not piss it off. I know. I was like, dragon's great. But you know what he says in here? And this is interesting. You know, my buddy Alex has kind of shown me this too. Is he says He's surprised nobody's written in and talked about what a hack it is to have a 3D printer because he builds like, he prints like bins for stuff and desk organizers and he says his whole desk is like completely decluttered now because of his uh, 3D printer. So I think, you know, he says he was he tried to meet up with you one time in Jersey or twice in Jersey. So he's that Steve, if you remember. He must have been the Steve that was stalking you for a bit. I don't mind being stalked. That's okay. You know what? I'm pretty lonely these days. I could use a stalker. Especially if the stalkers bring beer, you know? Well, I'm trying to trim down. Let's 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 do like Tito's gluten-free vodka, but sure. <laughs> oh, are you really? Are you you're not doing the you're not doing the glutes anymore, huh? No, I am doing the glutes, but I've lost 20 pounds, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. And and mostly just cutting back on carbs and stuff or what? Uh, Yeah. I, and I've been doing intermittent fasting. You know what? People laughed at me when I talked about that a couple of years ago, but it's a, it's a serious way to get just like, I don't know, like it makes kind of sounds like just stop eating after sunset. Like that is that such a crazy idea? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't eat until roughly 11 and then I don't eat at, at night. So. So what time do you stop eating at night? Um, I mean, sunset right now is kind of stupid. It's like 530. Yeah. But I don't eat past, I think, seven or eight, but seven. Seven's usually my cutoff, too, if I do it. I got to get back into it. It helps because I have a four-year-old who I currently have who's like, yeah, no, I'm tired. Let's go to bed. See, I have the opposite problem is my little monsters want to eat until right up until bedtime, despite me trying hours before bedtime, making sure they've eaten everything and brushed their teeth. They still get hungry right around bedtime constantly. They just are little weeds. And it's it's cliche to say it, but I legitimately have no idea where they put it all. <laughs> Something else. Oh, no. My kids, my son's the same way. It's like I bought a giant bag of apples and I'm like, this will last a week. <laughs> and I was at Publix today <laughs> buying another bag of apples. And it's Monday. I bought it. Granted, I brought it on Friday. But yeah. This will last a week and it's gone in a day. Yeah. Cut out beer. Cut out a... Uh, and it's basically, if you want to drink, it's just like clear liquor with like club soda, no tonic, no mixers. Like, I don't eat out much anymore because, you know, the apocalypse. I went the opposite way as far as that is I, instead of going to grocery stores, I started ordering food a lot more. I was doing that for a while and I ballooned up and I was kind of like, okay, no. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild how much eating out affects that. It's really something. Well, and you know, I'm I'm single now, so I'm on the prowl. So, you know. You want to be a slim and uh, cut gentleman who uh, is attractive to the ladies. Yes. And ladies, if you happen to own any patents uh, for, I don't know, automation technology, I would love to meet you. <laughs> and there's a deal we can make. <laughs> I love it. In the meantime, Jason writes in, you know, we were asking people about their work setups. We got a lot of M1ers. They're really representing. They're hyped right now. Uh, take out the robe, guys. Yeah. Let's go. Take them out. I know. I wonder. if. They, I, I, although the thing is, a lot of the M1ers out there are also robe bros. I know. There's a high high overlap. Yeah. yeah. You know, 
I've never in the history of this show seen a new product take off in our audience like this before. Like the Robe or the M1 or both? Well, both, actually. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I'd say we probably got seven people this week that were writing us from an M1. Oh, yeah. I got a bunch of tweets. People are saying they love it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of significant. So Jason writes in. He's on a Linux stack. He says, I'm a full-time open source developer working on a project that's written in C and as of 2017 includes some Rust components, and I couldn't be happier. Oh, got a Rust mention in here. It's been a bit. Uh, take a shot. Yeah, <laughs> but only something clear with, uh, with uh, sparkling water. You know, like Jim. He says, my day-to-day environment has been Fedora with GNOME since Fedora 7. I use the terminal, Emacs, IntelliJ for Rust, and some experimentation with VS Code these days. But 10 plus years with IntelliJ is hard is a hard habit to break. And of course, Chrome and too many Electron apps <laughs> for all the chat systems. <laughs> There's an Electron this lamb. Uh, in the evenings, I play with writing crypto trading bots. Oh, Jason, let's talk, my friend. Let's talk, <laughs> which is a great way to try out new things with Rust. Jason, email your buddy, Chris. Come on. <laughs> let's get some Ethereum action going. Jesus Christ. Rogue's an <laughs> Ethereum. That's... <laughs> I know, right? Well, come on. What else have I got going? You know? So I'm in the same boat. Hook me up. I got some GPUs. <laughs> Ethereum's going to be my health plan and my retirement plan. <laughs> I says I have an aging i7 overclocked to 4.2 gigahertz MVMEs and AMD RX 580s. Sounds a lot like my setup. And I have some off-lease Xeon servers in the closet running Elasticsearch, Plex, etc. Keep up the great work. I appreciate Jason telling us about his uh, server setup too. People have, you know, people didn't really tell us if they're running any home server infrastructure. So that's your next question. Shoot, I should have asked you last time. What is your? If do you have a little home setup system, maybe some VMs for testing, some some CI stuff. Let us know. Coder show slash contact. Yeah, I, I actually was wondering that too. With COVID and everything, are more people just being like, "To hell with it. Let me just run a server." And uh... maybe that's why people are buying Mac Minis. So Asish wants to write in to make me sad. Uh, M1 Air with 8 gigs of RAM, he says, I mostly do back-end node nowadays, also deploying to Lambda, and I have yet to feel constrained by the 8 gig limit. Now, you got one with 16 gigs, right, Mike? Yeah, because I like to light money on fire, but let's just keep moving. But do you, have you noticed it uh, being a limitation in terms of performance at all? What I've noticed is that it makes me want to take this iMac Pro and dropkick it. <laughs> but, like, you haven't, like, ran out of RAM, right? Never. It's, I haven't even, like, seen a stutter. I, I think unless I'm doing multiple VMs, I could really make 16 gigs work. I prefer to have, actually, I don't even need 32. 24 would be the sweet spot. But uh, anyways, uh, he doesn't know if he'll hit that limit yet, but he's he does plan to do some VMs soon. He initially got the M1 because his web meetings on his laptop were just sucking, and he wanted to appear at least somewhat presentable. Yep. And so he got the cheapest MacBook Air possible. He says, to make me a little sad, though, me, Chris, I'd expect the desktop to also go the way of the console when ARM and RISC-V come to x86 home turf. I like being able to load whatever I want on there. That's my thing. That's the that's the thing about the x86 platform is you could always build your, your, your own beast if you really had to. You know, you could go crazy with some Threadripper system and 128 gigabytes of RAM and, you know, 24 terabytes of internal storage. You could really go nuts with some of these. Uh, I was looking at the Lenovo P60, which is a Threadripper-based Linux workstation that starts at around $6,000. And, you know, you look at, like, the Thaleo, which you can just spec out to be an absolute monster. I bet I bet it's going to be a long time before Apple meets that kind of performance. How much you want to bet? Hmm. Put it in the only currency you actually care about, robes. 
<laughs> I'll bet you a robe. <laughs> bet me a robe? All right. I bet you a robe with a selfie, you know? So we have a topic. We should wait till we get there. But I, I have some thoughts, too. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. This episode right here, yeah, it's sponsored by Datadog. Now, who is Datadog? Well, they're solving big problems for you. All your applications, all your systems across all your clouds in one place. They're the unified monitoring and analytics platform that gives you comprehensive visibility into your cloud, into your hybrid clouds, like you got some on-prems. Yeah, they're going to do that. You quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers. You get beautiful real-time dashboards. Got to go see these dashboards at their website. Go to datadog.com slash coderadio. You can customize the dashboards and troubleshoot issues in seconds with a unified view of your metrics, your traces, your logs, all in one place. And then you have turnkey integrations with over 400 technologies, so really make it easy to just plug in and start working. You can use Datadog to watch key metrics on your Linux boxes, compare them with metrics from, like, say, just the application inside a container. I mean, you get real full-stack visibility with these tools. You should really check it out. They wrote some of their agents and rewrote some of their agents semi-recently, a couple of years ago now. And they've iterated on a few times in Go, and it's super simple to get up and going if you need one of those tools. Their integrations are just really fast and straightforward. And you can start a free trial. If you create one dashboard, you get a free Datadog t-shirt by supporting us and checking out datadog.com slash radio. Support the show, free swag, unify your metrics. It's a win-win-win. Imagine it. You're troubleshooting a problem. One team needs to communicate with another team. Datadog can help you visualize it all across the entire infrastructure. Datadog.com slash Radio. A little bit more feedback, and then we will uh, we will continue on. We have so much email. It's great, and I really actually appreciate it. I love it. It's exciting to open it up and go, man, look at all these people that wrote in. And we had one really cool one. We had a listener who was specializing in high-speed optical transceivers. How about that? Gabriel is a software engineer for a small company specializing in these optical transceivers, and the team is developing a new transceiver from scratch. He writes the firmware for the transceiver in addition to any programs that need to interface with it for testing, you know, for development or production uses. And uh, he says, since I'm working with embedded devices, my day-to-day involves reading too much documentation for too little information and dealing with hardware oddities and working around limited development software. I am forced to use Windows as the tool chain for the microcontroller we're using. It's proprietary. It only works on Windows. The compiler is built into the proprietary IDE. Actually, he says, thank Jar Jar. It's not based on Eclipse. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> built in you gotta love that it looks like it was pulled right out of windows 95 it says with uh, there's a few desktop applications i do write my go-to language is rust second rust mention it's a double i'll be honest i don't make anything more complex than a cli application but the libraries available for us make it so easy i've been using rust for years and i've loved nearly every moment of it if i say much more than that i'll just start sounding like a fanboy keep up the work thanks you too if you're gonna be a fanboy Rust is obviously the right choice. Not bad one, right? Right. I mean, yeah, it's a language that punishes you up front. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't get angry customers later. That's kind of all I want. Okay, so this is our last one today. Brian writes in, he works for a U.S. hosting company. We're not going to say which one. He says they've got great sysadmins, a good solid sysadmin team. But he is the sole developer for the entire company. So his roles range from a small command line utility to distribute services and some of their microservices 
to entire front ends written in React. He also ends up doing a lot of his own DevOps work to support his applications. Can you imagine? Like, Brian must be, like, tense and stressed all the time. <laughs> Just, yikes. Brian, convince your managers to hire a vendor to help you with that development work. Right. And I just happen to know one, the Mad Botter in Florida. Boom. No, but kidding aside, that's terrible. Yeah. That's just a lot of ground for one person to cover. It really is. And to make things a little more challenging, there's several thousand servers that are running Windows. So he has to write a lot of stuff that interfaces with them, too. He runs Fedora on his workstation. He's got an XPS 15 for that. Good choice. Yeah, right. Uh, but his predecessor, I think, used a lot of .NET, so he's been learning it, been picking it up. Um, and he's actually pretty happy that he can get it working as well as it does on Linux, and management is happy that he's using their preferred language, so that's all actually kind of working out pretty well. He says as a hobby, he recently branched out to writing small GTK-based applications in C, and uh, he's making inroads into learning things like Rust. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a Rust week, Mike. It's a Rust week. It's time to hit the ground, folks, because that's a triple <laughs> shot. No kidding. People are going to get wasted. He says, all the best. Thanks, Brian. So for the hobby dev, I would, uh, or hobby development, rather, I would almost suggest you take a look at like an Uno or an Avalonia if you already are uh, proficient in C Sharp. I know you're doing it for a hobby, so maybe you want to branch out. But if it's something you need for yourself or you just want to put out there, if you're familiar with the .NET stack, those are, I mean, I've done a, I've done quite a bit of Avalonia, a little more than I'd like to admit to, to be totally honest with you. It's, it's a great stack. It's maybe I'm hesitating a little because now Xamarin is getting Linux support and without putting a dog in this fight, Uno has kind of surpassed them in a lot of ways. But still a great platform and the big benefit is their implementation of GTK apps is actually like native GTK, where I believe Uno is still uh, uh, WA, uh, WebAssembly, WASM, whatever. How do you say that? Do you, do you say WASM or I just say WebAssembly now? Well, I say WASM to be kind of a little bit of a troll about it. It's WASM. Yeah, but uh, Brian, maybe it's time to polish up that resume too. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I hope he's, get, I hope he's got a decent uh, package. I mean, payment package. <laughs> I was going to say, really, Chris? <laughs> you know, it's just, that's not the way I... You know, we do the show at night and we're just a little looser than we used to be. I just, I was thinking payments and like bonuses and health insurance, you know, the whole package. <laughs> Wait, health insurance? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? What do you mean, that's, Sweden? I, I Don't even get me started. You know what? All the European listeners get mad at us every time we... I know. We do that. They roll their eyes at us whenever we talk about health insurance, ISPs, or cell phone plans. Remember the dude who was like, just come move to Germany? Yeah. Yeah. He's probably right, though. I mean, I do like beer and pretzels, although I'm off beer right now. I'm telling long term, like, you know, uh, you know, when the kids are all old and grown up and, you know, they have their own lives and don't care about old dad anymore. I could podcast from anywhere in the world, right? So why stay here? Why not go somewhere warm? Whatever happened to... To Amsterdam. Remember that whole phenomenon? People, oh, yeah. yeah. All the app developers were moving to Amsterdam. Yeah, maybe I should go check and see what happened to Amsterdam. You know, I don't know if I'm, I don't think that's where I want to go, though. I, th- I think table stakes are an M1 to get in, though. So. <laughs> oh, geez. I got to tell you about this M1 situation. Let's do it. All right. So um, wh- why don't we, to get there, why don't we talk about what Intel had to say recently? That they're sorry. They got a new CEO. And... He's uh he's shooting some fire. 
He says that Apple is a lifestyle brand and that they have to deliver better products in the PC ecosystem than that lifestyle company in Cupertino makes. Uh, we have to be good in the future, he says. <laughs> yes, that's much. <laughs> we should ship products that don't suck. Yes. They got to be good in the future. So problem solved, right? I mean, my general strategy for 2021 is just suck a little less. Yeah. Right? Like it. I, I kind I saw this when you put it in the doc, and I was like, I actually thought it was a joke. I know, the, and calling the Apple, which is one of the richest companies in the world, with one of the more interesting tech stories ever, uh, calling them a lifestyle brand is clearly just trying to be demeaning to what used to be one of their best customers. But uh, their current CEO, Bob Swan, is stepping down on Feb fifth, fifteenth, 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 not fifth. And the new guy, who's not a new guy at all, in fact, I think he worked at Intel for like 30 years, left, and is coming back to replace Bob Swan. His name's Pat. And uh, he told him to be good. I assume, as a CEO, you don't want to say, you know what, guys, let's just be really lousy this year. Let's just really, (laughs) you know, this year our CPUs are going to be hotter and slower. That's the plan. Right. Yeah, I think they're outsourcing some of the, I think they've just kind of decided, fine, we're going to outsource the TSMC a little bit for some of the manufacturing. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But um, along along these same lines, there's been a lot of information that kind of just so happened to leak about Apple during CES week. Just news that just happened to dominate the CES news cycle accidentally came out from Mark Gurman, which he and also so there's two there's two sources this week, both who have extremely accurate track records. Uh, Ming Chao Kuo and Mark Gurman have really significantly pretty pretty accurate track records. They are saying that Apple has a brand new strategy for the. Uh, Apple processor-based 14-inch and 16-inch MacBooks that will be coming out this year featuring Apple Silicon. And the big idea is, get ready for this, the return of MagSafe, adding more ports back, and getting rid of the touch bar. Literally just undoing and wiping away the entire Johnny Ive era because the keyboard's now gone, touch bar's now gone, and bringing MagSafe back would basically wipe out Johnny Johnny Ives' touch on the MacBook. Kind of admitting that the last five or six years or seven years or whatever it's been of MacBooks was a failure. Yeah, one of the things I love about my Air is it does not have a touch bar. Uh, you know, I guess I never really used it enough to care. I don't know, it just seemed fine. But yeah, it seemed like extra taps to do basic things like turn up the volume. Every once in a while, the touch bar gets weird. But we don't need to bash on it because it's obviously going away. <laughs> That's the real meta story, though. That in order to be competitive again, not just adding a faster processor and just sticking with USB-C, but actually kind of considering additional ports. German, you know, he's usually right. Yeah, I do. I do worry about the MagSafe thing only because is that going to be a proprietary port now? Probably. Uh, I'd bet. I'd bet it's still a charger over USB-C as well. You get both. You know, just going to be confusing because they've got MagSafe for the phone. Also, 21.5 and 27-inch M-based Mac, iMacs. Oh, god damn it. With edge-to-edge screens. And a Mac Pro Mini with a brand new display. This is, this, is, this is what they're claiming is coming this year. And, you know, we've been getting people that have written to, written to the show and saying, Chris, you need to get an M1. You need to experience what this is like because it's a pretty big shift. And just reading about it isn't sufficient to understand it. 
and I, I have had that happen. I feel like Docker re- is my most recent thing where, yeah. we, you know, we knew about Docker from day one. We talked to the, we talked to the original founders. Yeah, when they were still cloud, whatever their name, dot cloud. Right. 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 So we got it, you know, conceptually I got it, but it really wasn't until I started deploying my own services when I switched from using VMs to using containers. that I was like, oh, the application and the data are totally separate. I can destroy and stand up the application whenever I want, have the absolute latest version, and it just keeps on ticking. And I can just package that up and send it around the world. That's amazing. And then I got it, right? Then I really got why it's why it's taken off like wildfire. And, and people have said it's sort of similar, sort of similar with the M1 Max. And I don't have a counter to that. You've kind of suggested that's true as well. So I've been thinking about what to do in that regard. And I'll tell you in just a moment. Linode.com slash coder. Go to Linode.com slash coder and support the show. I got to hold on a second here. hundred dollars. hundred dollars. Apparently, apparently crazy Linode is giving you a hundred dollars. If you go to Linode.com slash coder, you get a hundred dollars in credit to use on Linode for 60 days towards your new kids. Can't be right. Somebody verify this. You know, Linode is our server provider. We hear from people in the audience that use it all the time. Listener Jeff used Linode to migrate a Nextcloud instance as a test scenario before he went and deployed it on his LAN. But while testing it, he realized, shoot, these Linode systems are so much faster than my local box sucking down power. He just migrated to Linode. (laughs) I just think that's so funny because it was a perfect test for him. Like, not only did he verify that he knew how to migrate the data, but then he's like, this is way better. (laughs) But I use Linode to host everything. I was just messing around with our Matrix server today. That's running up on Linode. I've been messing around with PeerTube. Of course, that's up on Linode. Our backend infrastructure for JB 3.0, it's all Linode because you get fast SSD disks. You get 40 gigabit connections to the hypervisors and 11 data centers around the world. But they have this UI that sits on top of it with their cloud dashboard that's really intuitive, really clean, simple. I mean, pull up one of your Linodes right at the top. You get all the vital information, how to connect to it, what its address is, how to get a remote console. Then you come down from that, you get descriptions about its resources. You get a snapshot of its CPU and disk and network IO. And it's all just right there organized for you really intelligently. And you can turn on and enable backups with just a cu- couple of clicks. You don't really have to be some sort of Linux expert to make it work. But if you are, Linode doesn't prevent you from getting behind the scenes and really messing around with stuff. I remember one time I was setting up a mesh VPN system for my mobile router, and I needed to actually re-image Linode with their weird Linux appliance image. And, uh, Linode actually had official documentation on how to do something like that. Think about that for a moment. Unlike entry-level service providers, they don't try to hide that stuff. It's there if you want, but if you never need it, you don't have to worry about it. They're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. You can start with something that's $5 a month and build it up from there, but with our $100 credit, try out a real serious rig. Build something powerful and fast and have some fun. It's it's delightful to use these systems. And then they have great ancillary services like object storage, which is S3 compatible. We have a system that is using their object storage for its video storage. When we upload a video, it's actually using object storage on the back end to store it. So our storage grows dynamically as we need it. Instead of carving off block storage, we just use object, object storage. And it works great. There's tons of ways to use Linode, from hosting a game server or a personal website to building the back end infrastructure for your community and your company. 
So go to Linode.com slash coder. Support this show and get that 100. Did you check that? Yeah? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They, we just checked it. Linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 60-day credit towards your new account and support the show. And I, I realized I'm probably, I'm not going to be happy with an M1 MacBook Air or even an M1 MacBook 13. But the Mac Mini, the Mac Mini is right up my alley. And I, I was sitting there up at my office, and I was like, I could make these three monitors work with a Mac Mini M1, and I could really get an experience at least, not for the battery life, which sounds incredible, but for the CPU speed. And I was debating what to do because I ordered a brand new Mac Mini for Angela because her computer oh. just died on her. <laughs> yeah, her, her battery in her MacBook has blowed up. You know how the old, she has a really old MacBook, like yeah, yeah. maybe even before Thunderbolt was a thing. When they actually become improvised explosive devices. Yes, I'm familiar with that concept. And, <laughs> and so we had this massive power outage last week. And I guess probably because the thing had to run on battery for the first time in forever or what, whatever, it got real bad real fast. But because the power was out, she couldn't order anything for herself because everything was down. So she drove to like Arby's to send me a text message because even the cell towers were down. We had a really bad storm. And she sends me a text message and she's like, can you order me an M1? I'll pay you back. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, well, here's the situation. And so, yeah, I went on there and I got a, I, you know, a, a, a maxed out M1 uh, MacBook or I'm sorry, Mac mini is 16 terabytes of RAM and two terabytes of storage. Well, she has a billion pictures. So she had to go with the two terabytes of storage. She just has no choice. And you know, 16 gigs of Ram. What are you, what are you, what are you going to do? Eight? Well, come on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I will get a little bit of uh hands-on time with it. That's the deal. That's the trade is for my time to set it up a little bit for her and do the ordering. I'll get a little hands-on time with the Mac mini M one play with it for a few days before I hand it off to her without having to buy one myself, you know? So it's kind of a good hack. It's not as nice as getting the experience the laptop, but I think I'd have to have a laptop for days and days, maybe a week or two before I'd be like, this battery life is changing my life anyways. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's the laptop. I don't want to downplay because it's actually very good, but it's so good that you keep forgetting how good it is until you're not using it <laughs> in terms of the battery life. I mean, <laughs> right. You just don't care anymore. I can't believe we're and people are rolling their eyes. I can't believe they're talking about this. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This is the state of things right now because you can go by our email and just all of the stuff that's going on. This is what people are talking about. Mike and I were having a conversation before the show. We're like, look at the hoopla. And we're like, well, we could talk some more about parlor. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not. <laughs> you know, so and this is this really it seems to be the topic that has captured a lot of the people in the technical circles. I thought it was over. I thought the hype bubble had passed, to be honest with you. But then people are now receiving their devices and our audience has been emailing in their experiences. I also, we got email, we got lots of emails from people on Intel systems and uh, we had an email uh, from an individual who's on an X1 Carbon and a Galago Pro, which I thought that was fascinating. So I have an email back and forth with them, asking them what it's like. So we got a lot of hardware in this week, but the M1 was the, the clear winner. And I thought, what a cool opportunity for me to get to play with it, set it up for Ange, and then just pass it on. Because it's never, it's not the right machine for me, anyways. No, I mean, I I will pour a little bit of buck, uh, bucket of cold poop on these rumors. Though I find it hard to believe that they're going to release a uh, Apple Silicon iMacs and a smaller, presumably 
you know, more modest version of the Mac. I'm sorry, the Mac Pro in the same year. That just and and a new Apple display. That just seems like a lot. Well, I think it's sort of like a rip the bandaid off kind of thing, possibly. You think so? So this is just like we're going for it. Well, and also this transition has been in the works for a long time. So they may have had a they may have already had a couple of year lead to build these systems. You know, maybe that's possible because they haven't been doing a lot with the iMac. They've just kind of been revving it and revving it. They haven't really done anything. They haven't really changed the screen. They haven't changed the big old chin, nothing. And I've always thought they must be waiting until they make that arm transition and then they're just going to roll it out. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly the case. Well, it's going to be terrible when like the base or two-step up IMAX trounce the IMAX pros. I'm just, you know, maybe it's a little personal for me, but... Well, I think that's what's selling them is the performance. And you do wonder uh, if if it's already kind of getting to the point where it's pretty competitive, what does it mean when it's even significantly more performant? I don't know what it is in me that worries a little bit that it's it's going to create this exodus of the Intel market, which just is absolutely ridiculous because I'm only talking about one category of user. But I think that's the concern in a sense is like, if what if they have something here that's so significant that it kind of just makes everything else look too old and slow? Like, I'm already feeling that a little bit. Like, I look at that X1 Carbon, which I just got, and I'm like, maybe I should sell this thing because it doesn't really... I mean, it doesn't feel doesn't feel like it's new and 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 like the most modern thing I could be using as fast as possible. And performance is a big deal for me. It's something that's I that's it's a serious thing for me. It is, but I think there's a lot of the market who doesn't want to run Mac OS, right? There's a lot of market who's frankly on Windows, right, for various reasons. Yep, absolutely. I mean, Linux market share is obviously small, but I guess I don't see a lot of platform switchers because of this. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Well, your point about Mac OS is kind of a good one. Yeah. Not to talk about Parler, but to talk about Parler just a little bit. It runs on X-Surfs because that's all they could find. Sorry. Yeah, that's all the rush has got. I watched all of that go down and I thought to myself, this is probably why ultimately it's better to build my own infrastructure where I can, self-host my own software and my services when I can, and use a platform that isn't tied to a single company, even for my computers as well. And I wonder if I will get to a point where it just simply doesn't matter how good of a system they make, as long as it's as fundamentally flawed that it's Apple that controls it, I'll never be fully comfortable with it. You know, no one tells me when or what updates I have to do with Linux. Nobody tells me what software I can or can't run with an x86 machine and Linux. And maybe that ultimately will end up being more important than having my applications load a little bit faster. I'm not sure because there's like ideals and then there's the actual like practical day-to-day getting your work done, pragmatic stuff about it, you know, like, but I have been thinking more and more about how like that single source of control. And it's also, it's like the same, it's the same issue with YouTube. All these platforms where these big companies are controlling them, it just takes them flipping a switch in San Francisco to shut your business down. Well, I mean, uh, I, I would say the YouTube situation is far more severe. I mean, I don't think, you know, if I write an app for Android or an Electron app for a client and Apple's annoyed, they're not going to, like, disable my MacBook Air remotely, right? Right. That's crazy. Worst case, with Apple's, they're going to disable a developer account or something. Right. But even then, you know, I will, I will, we've bashed them a lot over the years. I will give them one thing. They have never messed with my developer account for the consulting business, even when they threw us off the iTunes charts. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and they only like had an accident where they f- somehow missed the review or something right see it's funny because you mentioned youtube and like that just tr- triggered me a little bit because like that is the kind of platform control that scares the crap out of me like the content stuff because i i somehow have youtube red or gold or <laughs> yeah youtube premium I had Google Play Music and I loved it, and then they took it away from me. So I, they gave me something else. So I don't, I don't know. But it's kind of like how I listen to all my music now. But they just kind of pick what I listen to, and then you fall asleep listening to YouTube videos. Like I listen to, like every once in a while, I'll listen to the Xamarin videos, and I wake up and it's like some crazy right wing dude. Right? <laughs> like what the hell? You're always three videos away for some crazy rabbit hole conspiracy theory thing. Yeah, it's usually like Jordan Peterson's The Gateway Drug, and then you're just like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're always... You, you fall asleep for a few hours, and then all of a sudden your Facebook ads have dramatically changed. You're always three videos away from Jordan Peterson. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I just wanted to learn how to use this new XAML component. So, geez, there's a Python library I was curious about. I mean, my whole thing with the M1 is I love it. It's great. But if like System76 or Dell releases a Linux machine that can go toe-to-toe with this MacBook Air, then great. That's what I want. I think competition is good. I think, yes, I will say it, Apple's ahead, right? But isn't this an opportunity for the other vendors to kind of get their S together? Well, I don't want to go all our RMS on you here, but I don't think they're ever going to because... I mean, look at look at this. Look at this. We're thirty plus years into Apple being a thing, and they're still lapping everybody. I mean, let's be honest about it. They really are the build quality, the performance, the integration with the OS. It's a dream for other vendors to have that kind of level of integration and control. And we're not just talking about like control. We're talking about like some of these vendors who are manufacturing things are on the line. Like, their survival depends on Apple. Apple has ultimate control of the supply chain relationships, of everything, from the chips, from the glass that's on the screen, to the bits, all of it. And nobody's matching that. I don't think people are going to catch up. I think there will be equivalences. There will be places where they maybe surpass them in some areas. But as a whole complete product and package, it just Android hasn't managed to do it yet for the iPhone. It just doesn't seem to be happening. Hang on. That's scrolling. Project Butter has been going on for seven years. It's quite great. That's a deep breath. That is... Only long-time listeners will get that. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Man, and you know, that just proves it, doesn't it? And so, but this is where I kind of channel my inner beard from RMS, and I think to myself, what if that doesn't matter? What if what ultimately matters is the computer does what I tell it to do in every situation? But it doesn't. But it doesn't. You're always going to be running some proprietary hardware. You're always going to be running some proprietary drivers. Yeah. And frankly, even if they're not proprietary, there are 50 drunk Russians right now trying to screw with the Mesa drivers. True. Or any open source driver you care to name. Yeah. So what you're saying is give in to our new dictator and uh, long live Apple. No, what I'm saying is you have to adopt a level of cynicism <laughs> that you have yet to attain. <laughs> and which is weird because someone in the chat's mentioning Unfilter. I listen to Unfilter. You're a cynic. Yeah, I suppose sometimes I am. Well, you know, with, with Unfilter, it's it's more like I, I just pop the popcorn and I just watch the crazy show. And that's what Unfilter really is. But with this, it's like, I guess I look at this and I think, uh, this is my ultimate thing, but just what if someday somebody decides, uh, you know, those those hippies who, uh, who, uh, 
propose the free software should take over the world. They're dangerous. And somebody says, we got to shut down that Linux Unplugged podcast. It's dangerous. I'm going to be really glad that I'm not like making my entire living off of YouTube or some other platform that could just turn off the, you know, the access like that. And I think, I think watching these last few weeks, there's something there. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something brewing in the back of my mind where I'm like, something has shifted. The way I look at this has shifted. And I bet for a lot of other people, it's shifted as well. And I don't know if it's shifted for the better or not. I, maybe, but I feel like something isn't the same anymore. Is it possible that you feel that these for-profit corporations have way, way too much power? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the case. That's totally true. Right. I mean, the fact that Apple could effectively put any podcast out of business tomorrow seems like a lot to me. Seems bad. Right. Yeah, seems like, bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does seem bad. Yeah, I guess decentral. I've just, and it seems impossible yeah. because it, it really is just perhaps... It's we're too late stage in it, perhaps, and low late stage, <laughs> right? We're late. Stage, don't you think? Like that? Like we have we have our big companies. We have our app. Are you going to say rent seeking next? Because I, I we know, no, we no. I just mean like we're too late stage in development of this particular technological cycle. You have your big players. You have your platforms. You have your silos, and nothing stays the same forever. But it's going to be this way for a while. This is the this is the new re- reality for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I think the worst case scenario you could possibly think of is like maybe YouTube, but I, I, I'm thinking more of the App Store. As a developer, I kind of hate the fact that Apple controls it with such like an iron grip. But as someone who does IT support for his family, yep, that's why I make sure they get iPhones. Good point. Same. Yeah, that is that describes me to a T. Hmm. So I don't know. So you're saying I want my cake and I want to eat it too? Is what you're saying? That's what you're saying? Who doesn't? Unreasonable expectations. What I need to have are lowered expectations. <laughs> well, you do run Fedora. <laughs> I like Fedora. I actually like Fedora quite a bit. I think it's a good little operating system. It's no arch. It's no arch. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, let's, let's wrap it up right there. I think that's probably it. You know we're out. Well, you know we're out of material if we're talking about Arch. Uh, go get Mike on Twitter. He's at Dumanuku. His company is at the Mad Botter Inc. Is there anything else you want to mention, Mr. Dominic? Forward. Yeah, don't forget the Coder QA. Uh, subscribe. I think it's ten bucks a month. Well, it's cheaper than that. It's even cheaper than that. Coder even cheaper. CoderQA.co, and uh, you get a limited ad feed as well. You get the Coderly report. That's out. It's it's awesome. So go get that. If you, if you haven't got it, I don't know what your problem is. CoderQA.co. It's cheaper than Disney+. Plus. They spent all their money on M1 Max. That's their problem. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm at Chris Lass. The network is at Jupiter Signal on the Twitter. Twitter, which is a horrible platform you shouldn't use. And the show is at Coder Radio Show, but I wouldn't follow it because it's Twitter. Links to what we talked about today, they're at Coder.show slash 397. And our contact form there is too. Thanks for joining us. Join us live next Monday. See you next week.